0: This morning uh, is a little bit different. We are not in Hebrews as we have been. This is uh, Restoration Appreciation Week, and this is Restoration Appreciation Sunday, and if you're like, I don't even know what that is, I'm glad you're here, so I can tell you. Uh, We emerged out of a movement in the early 1800s, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that today, but first I just want to um, to tell you how much I uh, love you all. And how often I go through our directory to pray for each and every one of you. And those of you who are visitors who are not in our directory, uh, I keep notes of all of our visitors. And I pray for, for all of you, thanking God for all that he is doing in your lives. I know that he is, do- <laughs> I know he is doing a lot of things, that God is pouring out his, his grace on you. And there are so many times that God is pouring his grace on you and you don't even recognize it. And so one of my prayers is often that you will recognize the grace of God in your life. That you'll see it. Because bitterness and frustration and the wounds from people, the world, work, life, pile up on us. And those thousand cuts sometimes sometimes makes us lose sight of all that we have been given in Jesus So I pray frequently for your knowledge to increase so that you can know more about God. That by knowing God, you will not lack any spiritual gift. And I want to say from the outset, I think that's the big push that I want to communicate to you. Those of you who are Christians, you are made to do spiritual things. You are made to be gifted and empowered by God. And if you're not a Christian here today, you were still designed for that. You just aren't living into it. We are made to have a knowledge of God and through that knowledge of God be agents of God's grace in the world. And the world needs more grace. Can I get a witness on that? The world needs more mercy. The, Lord, the world needs more forgiveness. The world needs more Jesus. And the Spirit of God is on you or waiting to be on you so that you could be that in the world. There's this lovely and yet comical text in 2 Corinthians. But in order to get it, I need you to kind of imagine with me. Can you imagine with me this morning? I want you to imagine that this is 2,000 years in the past. And this, the, 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 the book, we call it a book of 2 Corinthians. It's just a letter that Paul penned and he sent to a church that was in a city called Corinth. And so you all are Corinthians. And you've gathered together to hear this letter that you've received from the Apostle Paul. But you've got to imagine what it would have been like to be in a room like this 2,000 years ago. Because none of y'all have bathed in a week. And those few of you that have bathed in a week didn't have scented shampoos or those little loofahs. You get all sudsy, there's no deodorant, there's no feminine products. There's no toothpaste. There's no mouthwash. Y'all have gathered into this space. Along with that, most of you are barefoot or wearing open-toed sandals, and the streets are covered with human and animal waste. They weren't known for being terribly clean in the ancient world. And we all brought that into that space. (laughs) Yeah, right? You you guys are sit sit apart, but I think there'd be even more. But you're so used to that smell. Some of you, again, remember, all of you are probably common laborers. You've been working all week long without the bath, without the mouthwash, and with the nasty feet. Now, taking all that in, (laughs) take a deep breath. Now imagine you meet someone who maybe has a little bit more money, so they just bathed and they scented their hair with expensive oil because all that stuff would have been expensive, perfume, they've perfumed themselves and they walk by you, you'll be like, oh, can we get the ushers to sit that person next to me? All right, with that in mind, I want you to think about this text as we hear it. I'm going to give it to you. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 15, it says this, Now thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads a fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. Now, I think if that text just, you were reading it cold in your, in your room or at home, it might just sound a little bizarre, you are the smell of Jesus wherever you go. That's kind of strange. But if you can imagine yourself in a world where everyone kind of stinks a little bit. Maybe you've been in a room with somebody who stinks a little bit. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but, but you can imagine how powerful the smell would be for somebody who actually smelled good. In fact... In fact, that really plays in this world right now in our age because when we do go into a room with somebody who hasn't brushed their teeth um, or somebody who hasn't bathed or hasn't washed their clothes, like you, you, you smell that and you know that. And so in, even today, I would say that we are the smell of Christ and either you smell good or you stink. And what happens when you say, I'm a Christian, or I go to church, or I believe in God, or maybe you've got a little cross hanging somewhere on your neck, or maybe you've got a a Bible in your office or in your car, whatever it is that that indicates maybe to somebody verbally or non-verbally that you're a Christian, do you stink to them? Because if you stink to them, Jesus stinks to them. And if you smell good, Jesus smells good. And so it's so imperative that we sort of wrap our minds around this. Now, now, setting that context, that's 2,000 years back. I want you to move a little bit closer, but not too close. So casting our minds about 200 years back to around the early 1800s. Now, whatever you've got to do to get yourself there, because maybe Bonanza comes to mind. I'm really dating myself, like people. Is anybody who doesn't ever, who has not heard of Bonanza? Yeah, that's okay. A couple of kids. It's all right. What about Clint Eastwood. You put yourself in a western, everybody speak anyway? Five will goes west. Anybody. <laughs> Whatever it takes to get your mind back there into that time. All right? So so this is the West. And, and the Western frontier was actually Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, uh, Pennsylvania. Like these were this was pushing in. This is around that time. They haven't gone quite west as, as you might think of the western, western states. They are in the Midwest, but that is west to them at this time. And, and at that time, Christianity, Christians, they stink. They stink. There's deep divisions. We don't know what it's like to live in a divided country, do we? Nothing like that. Then it's not Democrats and Republicans. It's Lutherans and Presbyterians and Baptists and Methodists. And they look at each other and they say, that church down the road, all those guys are going to hell. They're not really Christians. In fact, if you're a Presbyterian, you hate other Presbyterian groups. Those aren't the good Presbyterians, they're the bad ones. They aren't even Christians, and they're going to hell. We don't really have a concept of that because I just talked about us hanging out with the Lutherans. I mean, we're better than them, yes, but. Just kidding. I'm kidding, sort of. We all have a little bit wrong. We all have, anyway, it doesn't matter. But you get the idea. Like we we have we have pretty pretty easy cooperation between churches these days. They didn't, they threw stones at each other. And really, this wasn't emerging out of their own experience. This was emerging from Europe. So you might remember, like, people came over from Europe. That's how they got here, right? That's how white people got here? That's how it happened. Uh, and so from Europe I, I still got five full up there, don't I? <laughs> uh, all right. Well he's gonna stay up a little longer. I didn't put a blank slide there. Ignore. Um, And so they're bringing over from Europe all of their old denominational structures, all their old church structures, which was deeply tied into both their nationality over there. But because of that, there were all of these wars that happened between nations in Europe. But because their religion and their state were so tied together, it was just as much as a, a Baptist killing a Methodist over their politics and their religion. And you might think to yourself, well, maybe one or two. No, here's a short list. Two, three, four, five. And if you think to yourself, my goodness, that's a lot of wars. You're right. It's a lot of wars. It's a lot of dead people. It's a lot of Christians killing Christians. It's horrific and it stinks. And they brought all of this with them. All of this with them. One guy, his name is Thomas Campbell. He was uh, Irish, but uh, was a Scottish Presbyterian of a particular sect. I can't even name it because there's like so many. It's a big sign. Seceder, anti-burger, uh, new light Presbyterian. That's what he was. Seceder, anti-burger, new light Presbyterian. And he got here to the new world and he was like, Hey, uh, who cares about that stuff over there? Like, we didn't bring that with us. Let's set that aside. We all claim Christ as Lord and Savior, and there are differences. There are true, real differences between us, but can't we set those things aside and focus on the things that matter rather than continuing to throw stones at one another and to hate one another? Can't we, I mean, can we be one? And so he pulled together Methodists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Baptists, and he brought them together in something called the Christian Association of Washington, which was in a region, not Washington, D.C. It was actually in Pennsylvania. And he brought them together, and they began to fellowship. And as they fellowshiped, they thought together as well. They didn't do hymnals, but they did do uh, this exciting, I mean, brace yourself, Brace yourself for the excitement of the document they produced. Whoa. The Declaration and Address. Now that sounds like a page turner, doesn't it? Powerful. Uh, They they weren't as worried about um, entertaining people as we are these days. Uh, declaration and address is something they produced that lays down the things that they wanted to get across to all of these Christians and churches that were deeply divided. And I'm going to give these to you, or at least three things. There's all kinds of content there, but I'll give you the first, or at least three, from the address. They suggested this. That the church of Christ upon the earth is essentially, intentionally, and constitutionally one consisting of all those in every place that profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him in all things according to the scriptures. Deep breath. (laughs) Two. That although the church of, of Christ upon the earth must necessarily exist in particular and distinct societies locally separate from one another, yet there ought to be no schisms no uncharitable divisions among them and for this purpose they all they ought all to walk by the same rule and to be perfectly joined together in the same mind deep breath 3 that in order to do this nothing ought to be inculcated upon christians as articles of faith nor required of them as terms of communion but what is expressly taught and enjoined upon them in the word of god nor ought anything be admitted as divine obligation but what is expressly enjoined by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles upon the New Testament church, either in express terms or by approved precedent. Whew, that sounds like that came from the declaration and address, doesn't it? Let me summarize this for you as, as, as I try to summarize them. A little shorter. <laughs> There's one church. You notice when you read the scriptures, it says the body of Christ. Say the bodies of Christ, and you notice that it says the bodies of Christ, not the Lutheran bodies of Christ, not the Presbyterian bodies of Christ, not the Baptist body of Christ, not the right, it just says the body of Christ. There is one church, one group of people that are the people of God. Now, all of these Christians can't live in one place, they're going to be all over the place, and so there is one big church, but there are lots of small. That is to say, local churches. There's going to be a church in this town, in this town. And back in the day, uh, in Tennessee, there were three churches that were literally a mile apart. Why were they a mile apart? Because it's Tennessee. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, you can only travel so far on foot. Right? I mean, there's only so much space. And so, there's going to be uh, lots of small churches And though those small churches are going to be slightly different because of their location, there should not be a a, a division, schism, uncharitable talk between them. Now, how do we accomplish that? Because we are going to be different. Like, Michigan's a little different than Tennessee. It's a lot different. Somebody said a lot. That is true. A lot. And if you went to China, or you went to Africa, or you went to India, or you went to Europe, it would be different there too. In fact, the differences would expand based upon the similarities of culture and language and traditions. So how is it that then we create a sense of unity between this one big church while at the same time recognizing that it locally will look a little different wherever you are? Well, we start with this. There is black and white in the Bible, right? The black of the Bible expressly and explicitly stated is what you hold people to, nothing else. That gives a lot of wiggle room. Maybe you're new to church and you're like, I'm I'm sort of not tracking with this. There's a lot of wiggle room there because we in the Lutherans disagree about a lot of stuff. And so what we're suggesting here, what they were suggesting here, is we need to set aside all of the differences that we can, all of the things that are, are added to theological explanations, because the Bible is big, yeah, and it's complicated. And it's not, it's a, there's a learning curve there. If you say, I've picked up the Bible like 50 times and I don't get it, hey, that's all right. Like, there's some complicated stuff here. And some of it requires a great deal of interpretation. There is room, then, they're saying, for us to be open to differences. And there is room where we must be firm and fixed and draw a line between what is Christian and unchristian. And they used a couple of slogans because uh, that's a lot to say and memorize. And so we use these slogans here. We are not the only Christians... Are Christians only? So we don't add any new names. We don't add any new doctrines. We don't add any new creeds. The Bible says you're a Christian if you declare Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? That, that's that's what is there. In fact, Isaac, Isaac Arad, another one of the early founders, wrote this great little booklet. I've got a bunch in my office. If you care to read it. <laughs> Uh, no one cares to read it, that. I know, that's why it's funny. Uh, but he says in there that if you declare Jesus Christ as Lord, we as a people ought to begin by assuming you actually are what you say you are. We start positively, in other words. So we start by assuming you are who you are, unless for some reason you show us you're not. That's how we can say something like, well, we, we recognize there are Christians all over the place because we don't recognize the extra names. And the extra creeds and the extra additions that people have, we recognize this. So we're not the only Christians, but as, as far as we're concerned, we're only Christians. That makes sense? I mean it's really practical, it's really simple, easy to grab a hold of. And the, the next one there is where the Bible speaks, we speak, where the Bible is silent, we are silent. Because listen, there's there's a pendulum swing to life. You guys with me? You know that? There are, there are people who are going to say, well, if you're not exactly like us, you aren't a Christian at all. And I've been to those churches, and those people stink. And I don't want to be a part of it. And then there's another swing over, swing over here that everyone, you know, they're all the paths lead to God. Everything's fine. You know, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. They're the Oprah of the Christian world, right? We don't, we don't want to do that either because that's just not true. That offers no knowledge of God. That just makes it up to to whatever you decide it to be. And so these two things here press against the two pendulum swings and tries to force us towards the middle. And if you've been in our churches for any length of time, you know we don't do it real well. We're working on it. (laughs) Amen. We're working on it. But these are trying to press us from those two, two, two wings so that we're not thinking, oh, well, we got it all nailed down. Or it doesn't matter that we don't need to nail anything down. No, it's trying to press toward that middle so that we are both open to people's opinions and their thoughts and their differences and their cultures and their places, their times, their emphasis because churches emphasize different things while at the same time saying, no, we need to have a rule of faith in life. Not everything can go, especially if there is a God who created the world that wants us to know him. So, that's what we have going on here. That's part of who we are, and I want you to see that going on, especially this second part here in the text that I just mentioned earlier. So this text here. But thanks be to God, who in Christ leads us in triumphal procession, which is a beautiful thought, and spreads us or and through us spreads a fragrance of knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ amongst those, among those who are being saved, and among those who are being perish who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To another, fragrance from life to life. And here you see those two things at work. Knowledge and the creation of enemies. Those two things are at work. So, again, where the Bible speaks, we speak. That's what this big, long line that uh, Alex, uh, or Thomas Campbell wrote was here. Um, and this is my summarizing it. What's expressly stated in the Bible, because where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we are silent. Because if everyone's opinion goes... Think about this in, in the context of an aroma. Uh, when Paul um, walks through the hallway, I'm usually here before him on Sunday mornings. I always know he's here because I can smell him. So he's, a, he's a cologne wearer. Which isn't to say he wears too much or too little. It's perfect Paul scent. But I know when he's here. right? Now, I don't know what Paul wears. I've never asked him because that is not very doodly. <laughs> but let's just say Paul's wearing, you know, I don't know, diamonds. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. I don't know much about these things. This is what shows up when you Google perfume. And let's say Paul want, you know, wants to, you know, somebody else walks through, somebody else comes through and, And we get, I don't know, Stetson. And then someone else walks through the hall, and I'm starting to smell like, it's a weird combo, isn't it? I know what Stetson smells like. Not pleasant. Hopefully no one wears that. And then we get, you know, a little bit of Dennis Feinstein attack. And then we have just a a gaggle of teenagers come through, and they ax the whole thing. (laughs) And I step out in the hall thinking, it's a cacophony of odors, strange mixture. Uh, All of these individually, I'm going to just suggest, I might be wrong because I haven't sniffed them all, but I'm just, let's suggest all of them together are bad. Individually, they might be very good, but all together, it's a lot, isn't it? And this is what we mean when we say like, we need something like Scripture to lay down for us a knowledge of God. Because if everybody's opinion is in, what does God really want? What happens when this opinion disagrees with this opinion? We say, well, it's all good. We just right? there, there comes a point where you actually have to say, God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. And this is who he is. If you wanted to know me, you'd find certain things that I like and find certain things that I didn't. And if you start bringing me all these things that I didn't, eventually I'm going to be like, listen, dude, you stink, go away. We all are. We get this in every other relationship. Why in the world would we think that the creator of the universe would be different when we are made in his image? The creator of the universe wants us to know him. He understands also our imperfections and our, our, our sinful uh, lives, but also the lack of knowledge that we have. And so there's a lot of leeway in the scripture to have your own thoughts. I have friends that are charismatic. They're wrong about a lot, but I love them. And they look at me and say, he's wrong about a lot, but we love him because he loves Jesus and they love Jesus and we can cooperate and work together. There's room there for us to have some disagreements. But when it comes to Jesus and the the, the life of of morality that is laid down, the path that is given for Christ, this is how a Christian lives. This is how a non-Christian lives. That is clear. It's in the black and white of scripture. Not everything can go. And this then fundamentally will create enemies. Not everybody's going to love the smell of Jesus. Jesus. Some people aren't. And that, that, that's a part of it. And so what we do is we, we aren't you know, liberals swinging this way and we aren't conservatives swinging this way. We're trying to be orthodox. We're trying to live the way that Jesus calls us to live. For we are the aroma of Christ in the world and it is imperative, it is imperative that we do it well It's imperative that when people run into you, they recognize that you have a strong line of Jesus in you, but you aren't looking down your noses at the world. It's imperative that when they run into you, they hear a person who is willing to listen and entertain their ideas, their own opinions, their own, their own way of life, their own experiences without pouring down upon them your own opinions, ideas, and experiences. You begin by listening well to someone else, understanding where they're coming from, and then, if need be, telling them that they're wrong. Because <laughs> there's that too. There's that too. But it doesn't begin by throwing Bibles at the back of people's heads. It begins by hearing people out and understanding who they are and exemplifying them to the love of Christ. Jesus says, they come into the world to judge the world. There is a day of judgment. There is a day of judgment, and it isn't now. We are here to serve and to love and to experience and to share the truth in love with the world And part of that truth is you need to repent and come to Jesus. Part of that truth is you need to change and experience his life. Part of that truth is that hard edge. But we need to bring it in such a way that people can say, you know, I don't like what that guy has to say, but I can respect him or her because of how they say it. And because it emerges from a real concern for that person. If you don't love someone, don't tell them about Jesus. You just make it worse. Does that make sense? You with me? If you don't love that person and truly truly care about them, there's no reason for you to tell them why they're wrong. You're not going to get anywhere with them. You're just going to make another enemy and make Jesus stink to them. Keep your mouth shut. But if you love that person, and if, you, if you've invested time in prayer for that person, and you're earnestly seeking for that person because you want to spend eternity with that person, then, then you have a, the perfect position to bring into their life the smell of Jesus. And God wants that to be the position of all of his big church. All of his body. He wants to bring all of that together so that they can experience his love and his peace. And that brings us kind of to the, one of the final conclusions. This is another slogan. In fact, we didn't actually write this um, And I learned that from John MacArthur, who I never listened to because I don't like him very much. It's okay if you do. That's opinion. Uh, But I was listening to him on the radio uh, one time. And he says, uh, he preached a sermon in Essentials Unity and Non-Essentials Liberty and All Things Charity. And I said, step off, Johnny boy. That's ours. And I had to look it up. And I realized, oh, man, I'm totally wrong. John John had it right. Dr. MacArthur, I'm being disrespectful. Dr. MacArthur had it right. That This emerged actually prior to us, but our movement really grabbed a hold of it and spread it in the early 1800s. And I love it. I love it. That is a beautiful sentiment. An essential's unity. There are things that we can unify with many, many, if not most, Christian groups on. There is an essential core of Jesus that we can can connect to. There are non-essentials where we need to have liberty. We need to allow have people. There are people in this room that I don't agree with on atonement and end time stuff and there's all kinds of people in here. There are people that don't agree with me about predestination. There are people. These things are areas where we can still say, well, we can argue about it, we can fight about it, we can think about it, we can read books about it. But when it comes to the essentials, there's unity and love and all things. I love that because there are going to be moments of disagreement where there is an impasse. And we can't go any further. And when that happens, what people should see out of you and be able to testify about you is this. That person disagreed with me. We walked away. We didn't fix the problem. But they showed me great respect and love. Every person you disagree with should be able to say, I respect that person. This text ends, or, or sorry, it begins with uh, with the image, let's see if I can pull, I'll pull it back. No, I won't. There we go. I love this right here, who leads us in triumphal procession. So if you imagine this, uh, this is Christ who is uh, in front of us, and he's leading us, and we're sort of marching behind. The image that is evoked here is the image of the great Caesar, Lord of the ancient world, who after battle would bring his... Troops either into the city he had just conquered. And so this sort of a victory march through the city, kind of a, thumbing his nose at his enemies. And you could imagine the smell of that. Men that smelled like battle, whose armor is covered in blood. These animals who are, who are sweating. Just the smell of death that would have pervaded the area. And behind them, toward the back, would have been all the slaves. The people who they had conquered. The people who were bloodied and broken. Being dragged through these streets. You could imagine the sight you can imagine the smell. You can imagine what it would have been like to either be somebody who's like cheering on the dead that you have, your, your army had just killed or the, or the people that are cheering or at least being cowering so that they don't end up like the dead. That's the image of procession in the ancient world tied to power and blood and money. But Christ was a different sort of Lord, a different sort of King, one that still leads triumphal processions, one that still leads his people in the same way the ancient Caesar did, except for they're different as they are walking through there in a Roma, a presence of the knowledge of God, a presence that fills the air with grace and with peace, with power and with triumph. You are that procession. Every day this week as you get up out of your bed and you begin to take your first steps you step out into the world I want you to imagine that Christ is standing in front of you and he is leading you he is leading you in triumph but part of that triumph can't be the triumph of you being greater than and pushing people under your heel of you getting the best of everyone else but rather it must be leading you in the triumph of love of peace, of joy, of patience, of kindness, of gentleness, of humility, of the great virtues that we see in Jesus, the great virtues lauded as though they are characteristics of God Himself from beginning to end of the Scripture. Your triumph must be a different kind of triumph. And Jesus wants to lead you in it. That's the life that He has planned for you, that's the life that He's planned for all of us. And so as we come to a conclusion this morning, I want to invite you, if you're a believer here today, to to imagine that and to allow that to be every step this week. And if you are not a believer here today, I quote Barton Stone as he quotes 2 Corinthians, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when God wants to transform your life with love and with mercy and with truth. And if you need prayer of any kind, our elders will be on the two sides here, so you don't have to kind of walk down front and stand in front of everybody, but just go off to the side. They want to pray with you. They want to talk with you. They want to help you and suggest ways that you can begin to put things together as we walk together in procession, led by Jesus Christ, to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. Let's stand as we sing.